What a beautiful song to praise Jesus for His excellency. He indeed is greater than anything that we can experience in this world. Friends, I encourage you this morning to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. I'll be reading from two parts, Acts 20 um, and then Acts 26. As you are turning there, if you did not bring your Bible, we encourage you to find a Bible provided in the chair in front of you. You may find this passage in our pew Bibles on page number 929, and then the second passage on page number 935. As you're turning there, also I want to remind you that we are finishing up our sermon series in the book of Acts. We've been in it for uh, 71 weeks or so. Uh, we will have one more sermon next week from the book of Acts. And then two weeks from today, we are starting a new sermon series from the Old Testament, from one of the poetic books of the Old Testament, and specifically from the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you want an encouraging book to start reading and getting ready for the next sermon series, start reading through the book of Ecclesiastes. It will be encouraging in a way that you do not expect. Um, it's certainly it's encouraging, but I pray that, you would, uh, that the Lord would use that to, uh, to prepare us and to get us closer to uh, the experience of, of seeing Him in glory. But for now and for next week, we are continuing and finishing up our our time in the book of Acts, this morning we will be looking at the theme of repentance in the book of Acts. And here's the word of the Lord uh, in the two passages we uh, have announced. Acts 20, verse 17 through 21. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that have happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll turn to Acts 26. Only two verses here. Paul is speaking to King Agrippa. And in verse 19, he says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. This is the word of the Lord for us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your revelation of yourself through your word. Thank you that you are a God who chose to reveal yourself and let us know your plans with us and for us. Father, we pray that now by your spirit, you would speak to our hearts. Let us understand what you would have us to know and do. We pray this for the glory of Christ and through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit who is with us. In His name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, as we have uh, worked through the book of Acts, as a matter of fact, when I was working through it myself in, in preparation for this series, I noticed an interesting theme that appeared in key parts of the book of Acts. And that is a theme of repentance. Repentance. Several times throughout this book, 
this theme of repentance came up in, in a very plain, simple way that somewhat surprised me. So this morning, I want us to see this theme of Acts, this theme of repentance in the book of Acts. And, and what does it mean? And why is it that, that Luke, the, the, the writer of the book of Acts, includes this theme of repentance so clearly, so intentionally, and so plainly? Let's look this morning at this theme of repentance from the book of Acts. But before we do that, I want to ask you, what is repentance? When you think about this word, repentance, or to repent, what does it trigger in your mind? What do you think of? Today, people have all kinds of ideas about it. For some, it is a feeling, a feeling of sorry, a feeling of regret. For others, it is, a say, it is about saying you're sorry or asking for forgiveness. So it's not just, it's not just a feeling, but, but doing something about it, asking others to, to forgive you or, or saying that indeed you, you're wrong. You acknowledge you are wrong and you, you want to you wanna do something about it. If, if we think of repentance as only a feeling or a saying, we're very far away from the biblical idea of repentance. Now, certainly, repentance includes a feeling of regret, a feeling of sorry. Certainly, biblical repentance includes the act of actually saying something about it. So it's not just an internal feeling. Confessing something. But it's more than that. The Greek word for repentance means a change of mind. We come to realize that something is wrong in, in our relationship with God. And a change takes place in our minds. The Hebrew word for repentance has a further nuance or a further element of definition. The Hebrew word for, for repentance means a turning, an actual turning. So it's not just a reality in the mind or a, a feeling in the heart or just something that you say with your mouth. It is actually a turning of life, a turning of life, of the entire life to God. And both elements, the change in the mind and the turning of whole life toward God are part of the biblical notion of repentance. As one of the Reformers said, the biblical notion of repentance is the true turning of our life to God. The true turning of our life to God. Such a turning involves a transformation, not only in our outward behavior, but also a transformation in our own soul, in our own hearts. And it's that transformation that enables us to turn to God with our entire being. But how does the book of Acts speak about this repentance? If that's what it means, we, we saw what biblically the idea of repentance means, what, how does the book of Acts speak about this repentance? Well, there's seven ways. If you like taking notes this morning, uh, there's going to be seven things we're going to say from the book of Acts, and actually from Luke as well, as we'll see, uh, because Luke wrote both books together. We're going to see look at seven things about repentance from the book of Acts. And here's the first one. 
Repentance is the key response to the gospel. Repentance is a key response to the gospel. In the sermons that both Peter and Paul preached, which we have recorded in the book of Acts, we see clearly that the proper response to news about Jesus is not simply to believe in him. That is part of it. But it goes further. It's also to repent and turn to God. Now, by faith, by believing in Jesus, by faith we embrace the news that God provided Jesus as a means of our salvation, as the means, the only means of our salvation. We embrace that by faith. We believe that. But once we believe that about Jesus, that faith should produce in us repentance. Without such belief, without such faith in the gospel, we cannot truly repent. But it's also true that without repentance, our faith is useless. No matter how strong it is, no matter how good it is in our own sight, without repentance, our faith is proven false. That's why Paul is able to summarize his, own, his entire ministry of preaching and teaching by focusing on the response of repentance to the gospel. That's why in Acts 20, verse chapter 20 and chapter 26, which we have just read earlier, Paul is in, in both of the situations, he's in a position of speaking about his teaching and preaching ministry. And he's summarizing it in a few words. And how could you summarize in a few words what Paul has taught and, and, and preached for his entire life or for a certain time in his life? Well, he does it both in chapter 20, verse 21. He says, Paul spoke to the elders of the church in Ephesus, and he said to them, here's what he taught while he was with them for, for the three years time frame. He said, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That is a summary of the gospel which he preached. The second time Paul gets to summarize his teaching and preaching is before King Agrippa in chapter 26. There he said, look at chapter, at chapter 26, verse 20. Paul said that he declared, first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles. What? What did he declare to them? Here's a summary. That they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. But Paul is not the first one to describe the entire gospel message by this call for repentance. That's what we're saying right now, that, that the, the gospel message is summarized in Paul's own ministry, in his own words, through this call for repentance. But he's not the first one who does it. As a matter of fact, the first one who does it is Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus frequently will appeal to this call for repentance. I'm just going to give you a few, a few verses, but one of them that is perhaps the most clear summary of the entire message about Jesus is given in Luke 24, when Jesus is, is telling his disciples what they should do now that he has resurrected, he's going to go away, he's going to send the Spirit, and that they will go to all the nations and proclaim the news about Jesus. And here's how Jesus summarized the message about himself, which these apostles were to proclaim. Luke 24, verse 47. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures 
and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Did you see that? Did you see how Jesus summarizes his own message about himself and what should be proclaimed about him? That repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. That's why when Peter begins preaching on the, after, on the day of Pentecost and then in, in chapter 2 of Acts and then chapter 3 of Acts, when he begins preaching about Jesus, he will lead that preaching to this command that he gives the audience to repent. Repent. If they believe the message about Jesus, they should repent. Now, when we think about sharing the news about Jesus, the news of Christ, we like focusing on the positive aspects of the gospel message. And there's many positive aspects of the gospel message. When we turn to God, we receive His life, a life that is eternal. When we do receive Him inside of us, we, we receive a new meaning in life, a new life that we begin to glorify God through everything we do and, and to reflect His nature and character. All of a sudden, our life indeed gets a new purpose. We can have a great peace, first with God, then with others, then with ourselves. God gives us, when He comes inside of us by His Spirit, He gives us a new joy, an unexplainable joy that we can have with us even when we go through trials and tribulations and sorrows. Also, a joy that we can love even our enemies, not only the people that we like hanging out with. All these things are, are, are positive things that we get when the gospel becomes part of us, when we embrace the gospel. And, and there's much more positive things we could talk about, but we must also tell people not only about the positives of the gospel message, we must also tell people that the gospel calls us to repent. That repentance is a key component of turning to God. But somehow this language of repentance, friends, somehow this language has fallen out of our Christian vocabulary. We find other ways of talking about the gospel. We try to appeal to people to why they should get it, why they should respond. But when do we simply call on people to repent and turn to God? to repent from their sin, to turn away from their sin and, and trust in Christ and turn to Christ. In the last two, three decades, the most popular response we offer people when we preach the gospel to them, when we tell the gospel to them, the most popular response we offer people is to receive Jesus in their hearts or to invite Jesus in their hearts. Friends, there is a few problems with that way of, 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 of speaking to people about the gospel. And if you want to know about that, I'd love to talk to you at the end of the service. But, but one of the problems that I just want to bring out to you is that when we speak to the response to the gospel as being merely or primarily about inviting Jesus in your heart, that doesn't give any sense that we must repent. We, we, we forget and we substitute the idea of repentance with the idea of inviting Jesus in your heart. And that's a problem. Because inviting Jesus in your heart is not the same thing as repenting. That's a problem. 
So I'm calling on us, I'm asking, I'm appealing to you when you think about speaking about Jesus and talking to people about the gospel and what the gospel requires us to do. I would encourage you to actually use language of repentance. Call on people to repent. And turn to God. Often when I ask people to tell me the gospel in 60 seconds, um, how would you summarize the gospel? I, I, I ask people that quite often. And especially those who end up becoming members of our congregation, that is one of the questions we ask. Um, often, often, they would go through the gospel story about God, man, and, and Christ. And sometimes there would be even, they would include the response, which is so good because we want to get to the response as well. But part of the response that often gets left out is a call to repent. We just somehow, we don't think about including that in the presentation of the gospel, in speaking to people about Jesus. I don't sure why this word has been dropped out of our Christian vocabulary. But I'm simply here to ask you. We see in the book of Acts, we see in, in the book of in Luke, Jesus himself speaks about this. Actually, the, the essence of the gospel and the, respo- the key response to the gospel is repentance. If we leave out the plain and simple command to repent, we actually do people a great disservice. We hide from them what the gospel requires. I love what Leon Morris said in, uh, that repentance is to be wholehearted and the demand for such a repentance springs from the wholehearted salvation that Christ has won for his people. When we understand the gospel, when we communicate the gospel, when we reflect the gospel, it should lead us to repentance. And I'm simply calling on us to start recovering that word in our Christian vocabulary. Even in our evangelism, when we speak to people. Friends, do we understand that God's offer of salvation through Jesus calls people to repent? And when that is made clear, people will repent. But we must call them to do so. If they don't do so, they won't. So the first point, this was the longest point of the seven is that repentance is a key response to the gospel. That's what we see in the book of Acts. Paul spoke about repentance as a way to summarize his own teaching ministry of the gospel itself. We should not be afraid of that. Here's the second thing we see in the book of Acts about repentance. Repentance is toward God. Repentance is toward God. Notice how Paul describes this repentance in Acts 20, 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 26, 20, Paul said that people should repent and turn to God. The reason why repentance is a key part of the gospel message is because of who it is we must repent toward. We must repent toward God. We must turn to Him. Repentance is not simply, I don't want to sin anymore. Or it's repentance is not simply a turn away from a bad thing we've done in the past. That's not repentance. That alone is not repentance. It's about turning from that and turning to God. You know, there are people who actually want to live a more clean and moral life. They just want to live a, a better life. They, don't want to, they might not have, they want to get rid of certain uh, addictions or things that have really are, are, are messing up their lives. And they just want to 
live a more clean version of their current life. And they might say, they might turn away from that addiction or might turn away from that habit because it's not good for them. It could be the habit of eating too much, right? How many of you are, 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 have ever thought about that, turning away from that habit, right? We think, I want to turn away from the habit of eating too much. Well, I'm repenting from eating too much. Well, it doesn't mean that you're actually repenting toward God because you could just repent from the habit of eating too much to the habit of eating more appropriately. Well, that's not biblical repentance. Biblical repentance is when you turn to God, when you turn from something all the way to God. That is why we, we must understand that the reason why we're turning from something is not just because it hurts us, like just eating. It might just hurt us, our bodies. But repentance toward God, we realize that we're actually turning from something back to God because it hurts God. And that's why repentance is such a big deal. It's an action away from that which not only hurts us, it actually first and foremost hurts God himself. Why is it important to highlight this idea of repenting toward God? Because it shows us who it is we have wronged the most. It also shows us what we want to be like. It shows us what we want to pursue now. We're not simply trying to be better moral people. We want to be better followers of God, reflecting His nature and character and likeness. Friends, this turn to God is not just a one-time decision. It's not just what we do once when we respond initially to the gospel message. No, this one-time decision begins in us. It's true. It begins once, but it begins a lifelong journey of pursuing God. That's why repentance is, is both an initial act, but also an ongoing act. If we turn from our sin toward God, and it's a life orientation or reorientation, it's a, it's a beginning of a new life of repentance. That's why, friends, repentance is not just a one-time action. It's what, it's what we do when we turn to Christ in, in, in conversion. It's what we do when we turn to Christ in living out a whole Christian life, in, in seeking to grow in Christ's likeness. That's why every time we take the Lord's Supper, we, as we did last week, we take a moment of examining ourselves and take a moment to encourage each other to confess our sins, to examine ourselves, repent of our sins, and turn back to God. That's why every time, uh, every Sunday, when we have prayers in our own service, we would have prayers where we confess our sin before God because we realize that repentance is part of what should be happening in, in every one of us throughout this life that we have in God. That's why we encourage one another on a regular basis to repent of sin and turn from our sin. And when we see another brother or sister fall in a particular sin and be stuck in that sin, we want to talk to them and encourage them by love and, 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 and spiritual uh, warmth, uh, but at the same time spiritual clarity that we want them to turn away from their sin and, and pursue God. Repentance is toward God. That's the second point. The third point we see in the book of Acts about repentance is that repentance is God's command. Repentance is God's command. When Paul preached his famous sermon in Acts uh, 17 in the city of Athens in the Areopagus, he told the crowd there, uh, people who had very little background knowledge about the Old Testament or anything about God's revelation of himself, 
But Paul said to them that God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Did you hear that? God commands all people everywhere to repent. That means that he, if he calls all people everywhere to repent, that means if you think you are a person, a people, that, that includes you and me as well. And now, everywhere, not just in Athens, Greece, everywhere. Friend, I wonder if you've ever responded to this command of, of God to repent. If, if you're visiting us this morning, you're not a Christian. We're so glad you're here this morning. We would love for, for you to come again and, 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 and come to know the, the congregation, this, the, the people of this church. One of the things we want to let you know is that God calls people everywhere. That means you included to repent. Even if you've never repented of your sin and turned to Christ by faith, accepting Him as, as you're acknowledging and believing that He is your Savior who paid for the penalty of your sin so that you can be restored to God. If you've never embraced that by faith and actually repented and turned to God, you can do so today. I'd love for you to do so today. I encourage you to do so today. If you want to know more about that, I would love to talk to you at the end of the service. I spoke recently with someone about Christ, asked him what they meant uh, when, when they talked about Jesus being a Savior. And I got a lot of good facts that this person knew about, about Christ. But I've asked, but have you ever repented of your sin? And the response was no. Friends, you might know a lot of things about God, about Jesus as a Savior, about the gospel, but I wonder, have you actually ever repented of your sin? Have you obeyed this command that God gives that every person everywhere should repent? If you have not done so, I pray that you do so today. Now, why does God command us to repent? Why does God command us to repent? Why is it not just like something on the shelf? If, you, if you'd like to get it, here it is. Why is there a command to repent? So that those who do not repent actually disobey God. Why is this gospel message a command? Well, because God wants us to escape His dreadful judgment. The reason why the gospel is a command, the reason why repentance is a command, is because God wants us to escape His judgment. When Paul spoke about this command for people everywhere to repent, a, God, a God-given command, he said, because God has ordained a day, a day by which he will judge everyone by the man he has appointed, namely by Jesus. His wrath will be poured out on all those who are separated from him. And those who have rebelled against him, all those who have ignored him, all of them will be under the condemnation of God. The reason why each of us deserve his judgment is because we have sinned against him. We have rebelled against him. So he, we rightly deserve his judgment. And yet God in his goodness provided a way of escape for Jesus. Through his death on the cross, we are now given this opportunity to escape his judgment. But guess what? Mankind ignores it. That's why God now commands it. The gospel, the, the news to repent is not just an option it's a command from God because God knew how broken and, and corrupt our nature is that unless he tells, I command you to repent, we will never go for it. And the crazy part is there are still people who will still ignore this 
repentance, even though God commands it. Friends, that's why we want to understand that repentance, when, we, when believers speak about repentance, we, do, we, should not, we should not speak of it lightly or superficially or as an optional experience. It's God's command. So when we choose to avoid including that in our language, we actually choose to avoid that which God commanded. It's a big deal for us. Friends, I pray that you consider carefully that His day of judgment is coming. And God desires all people to escape it by repenting and turning to Him before it's too late. That's why, dear friends, we as Christians, those of us who are Christians, we should speak about that day of judgment more often and tell God provided a way and commanded the way to, to repentance. I love what John Calvin says, that before the mind of the sinner inclines to repentance, it must be aroused by thinking upon divine judgment. When this thought is deeply and thoroughly fixed in the mind, namely that God will someday mount his judgment seat to demand a reckoning of all words and deeds, it will not permit the miserable man to rest, nor to breathe freely, even for a moment, without stirring him continually to reflect upon another mode of life, whereby he may be able to stand firm in that judgment. Friends, we will all face that judgment. Without repentance now, we have no grounds on which to stand for that day. Friends, I pray that when you think about speaking to others about the gospel, you will bring a dimension of that soberness and that reality and that seriousness that if people fail to repent, they will not be ready for the day of judgment. Repentance is not only God's command because he will bring the day of judgment. Repentance is also God's gift. This is the fourth thing we see in, in Acts about repentance. Repentance is God's gift. In Acts 5.31, we read that God exalted him, namely Jesus, at his right hand as leader and savior. Why? To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Later in Acts 11, when the Jews heard about the conversion of the Gentiles, they praised God. Here's why. Because God granted repentance to the Gentiles. I love what Spurgeon says about this. He says, when Jesus grants the grace of forgiveness, at the same moment he gives a tender heart that mourns that it should have needed forgiveness. When God grants us the forgiveness of sins, he also grants us the repentance of heart. Now, we must be very careful. The forgiveness of sins is not given because of repentance. The forgiveness of sins is not given because we repent. Acts says that God gives both. Whenever forgiveness of sins is given to us, it works in the soul even greater repentance. What is the significant fact that God gives repentance? Why is it significant that repentance is God's gift? Well, because God not only commands us to repent, remember that, God commands us to repent, but also God provides us with repentance. In other words, God gives us that which he commands. It's amazing. That God gives us that which he commands. So that every part of our salvation has its source in God himself. That's why we say that salvation is entirely of God. 
It is entirely from Him. We don't bring anything to the table of God's salvation except our sin and guilt. Leon Morris said, It is a gracious God who gives a gift of repentance and thus admits to life those sinful lives who would otherwise would have been led to death. This means, dear friend, that what you can do for your salvation, all you can do for your salvation is look to God for this repentance. If you find your heart unable to believe, ask God to give you a heart of flesh, a heart who is able to believe. If you're not able to repent, ask God to give you a heart ready for repentance and able to repent because repentance is God's gift. But here's a, a fifth thing that we see about repentance in the book of Acts. Repentance is our responsibility as well. Repentance is our responsibility. Repentance is something we must do. Three times in the book of Acts, we see the disciples commanding people to repent, not just talking about it, not just talking about the need for repentance, but actually giving people, specific people, the command to repent. Acts 2, 38, when people became convicted on the day of Pentecost and asked Peter what they should do, Peter said, repent and be baptized. In Acts 3, when the crowd saw the, the, the man who was healed, that lame man in the temple who was healed and started following Peter, and Peter says, why are you amazed that we did this? Here's why we were able to, to heal this man, because of Jesus. And then Peter goes on and says, repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. And, I'm sorry, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. In Acts 8, when Simon the Magi calls and asks to, to give money so he could get the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter has a very hard word for him. He says, repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intent Pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Friends, do we, do we command people to repent? I mean, do we just tell people plain, you must repent as a command? Whenever we see Paul and Peter do that, we see this clear, clarity of just asking people to repent. Where did Peter and Paul learn that? Where did they learn that from? Well, they learn it from Jesus. Jesus, in, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, he has many times when he speaks about this call for repentance, and he gives this call to repentance. Luke 5, 32, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Luke 10, 13, Jesus gave the citizens of Chorazin and Bethsaida a great warning. He said to them, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. And Jesus was looking and seeking repentance from the cities of, of Bethsaida and Chorazin. In Luke eleven thirty two, Jesus gives a, a similar warning. Here to, here's a warning Jesus gives to the men, to the crowd. He says, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the day of judgment, with this generation and condemn it. Did you hear that? Jesus says, on the day of judgment, the men of Nineveh will rise up against, his gener against the generation to whom Jesus was speaking and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And they have failed to repent. You see how Jesus speaks about the need for repentance? And he's trying to convince their, their minds and souls and hearts to understand the need for repentance? In Luke 13, 
3 and 5, twice, Jesus says, unless you repent, you will perish also. Again, Jesus says that phrase twice in the same context. And then in Luke 24, we saw how Jesus summarized the entire teaching of the, of the gospel through this message of repentance and forgiveness of sins that needs to be proclaimed. Friends, if Jesus called people to repentance and spoke about repentance as something that people must do, and if we saw Peter and Paul do that, why would we shy away from it? Why is it difficult for us to speak about it? Even when we ask Christians about their testimony, I thought of, instead of asking them, how did you get saved, which is typical of way, you know, when you ask other Christians about their testimony, you say, how did you get saved? Ask them something else. Change the question. Ask them about this. How did you come to repent of your sin? Or ask them, when did you deal with your sin? For the first time. That's a better way not sure, to help us understand that repentance is part of the gospel story. Sixth thing. Sixth thing we see in Acts. Repentance leads to life. Repentance leads to life. In Acts 11, when the Jews were praising God for granting repentance to the Gentiles, they described this repentance as a repentance that leads to life. But friends, a witness of the New Testament tells us that not every repentance leads to life. There is a repentance that actually leads to death. Paul speaks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. There, there, there's a sorrow that leads to life, and there's a sorrow that leads to death. So that people can go through the, through the experience of what might look like repentance, or might look like sorrow, but it's not a sorrow that leads to life. It's a sorrow and repentance that leads to death. Because they might be sorry for, their, for being caught. They might be sorry for the consequences that are now going to happen. They might be sorry for themselves because now everybody else will look different at them. They might be sorry for a whole lot of other things except be sorry and repent toward God. There is a repentance that does not lead to life. And we need to be cautious about that. But there is a repentance that does lead to life. And that repentance indeed brings a transformation, a new life in the sinner. And that starts bringing up new fruits and new deeds of righteousness because there's now a, li a new life that has, that has begun in that person. Friends, Jesus speaks about that. I'm sorry, John the Baptist speaks about that before he he presents Jesus. Remember John the Baptist? There's many people in, in Israel who came to, to receive the baptism of repentance from John the Baptist. And at one point, John the Baptist looks at them and says, whoa, what are you doing? Why do you come to, to, be, re, to be baptized with this baptism of repentance when actually you have not really changed? Nothing has really changed in your heart. Do first deeds in keeping with your repentance. That's John the Baptist. Warning that not all repentance is true repentance. And you know what? It's not John the Baptist who did that. It's the Apostle Paul as well. In Acts 26, did you see how he defined that repentance when he said that they should repent and turn to God? And he adds another phrase. He says, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Why does Paul say that? Why does Paul add that? Because not all repentance leads to life. 
Some repentance leads to death. Friends, there's nothing worse than thinking that some sort of superficial repentance is a guarantee that you will go to heaven. Consider the reality that words alone are not true repentance. Even feelings of sorrow and grief are not a sufficient evidence that we have truly repented. When repentance is truly biblical, biblical repentance, it is oriented toward God, it produces evidence in our lives, and such true repentance leads to life. This is the repentance that God grants. It's a true transforming repentance. Any other repentance is a repentance that we produce on our own, and it does not lead to life. I pray that God works such repentance in our own hearts. Friends, lastly, and you'll like this one, repentance causes joy. Repentance causes joy. We see that in the book of Acts in chapter 15 when the Jewish leaders returned from Antioch back to Jerusalem, and they were telling verse 3, we, in verse 3, we were, we, we were told that they were describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When people repent, there's great joy. Repentance causes joy. Now, Jesus said twice in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, that there's greater joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 people who do not need repentance. Now, think about this description and, and comparison. If you think you're a person who does not need repentance and you think greatly about yourself, find another 98 who are with you in the same category and cluster together as a group. Probably about the size of, of, of the, the people who are here. If 99 people thought they are people who don't need repentance and you think greatly about yourself and you feel good about yourself, here's a comparison. One sinner who realizes he needs repentance and does repent causes more joy in heaven before the angels of God than 99 of you. Just, just let that thought sink in. That when we understand this truth about repentance and, and, and what it means for us, not just for us, but for heaven itself, repentance causes joy. It causes joy in your heart. It causes joy in the hearts of other people. It causes joy in heaven itself. Now, it's true. Here's the part we don't like. In order to get to that repentance, we must speak about the guilt of sin. We must speak about the darkness of sin. We must speak about the reality and the brokenness of our disobedience and rebellion. We must speak about the judgment of God. That is not fun. We should speak about that so that we get to true repentance, so that we get to the true transformation that, exi that exists by the grace of God. Friends, that's why in Acts and in Luke, we, should, we see so much a focus on repentance as a necessary response to the gospel, because this repentance causes great joy, first and foremost in heaven, then in other people who hear about it and those who actually experience it. Seven things we have considered about repentance from, the from, Luke, from Acts and from the Gospel of Luke. Repentance is a key response to the Gospel. Therefore, therefore, speak it. Ask people to repent. Repentance is God's command. That's why we should repent. Repentance is toward God. Repentance is our responsibility. Repentance is God's gift. Repentance leads to life. Repentance 
causes great joy. I want to close with two quotes from some great reformers. One of them said, The closer any man comes to the likeness of God, the more the image of God shines in him. In order that believers may reach this goal, God assigns them a race of repentance, which they are to run throughout their lives. A race of repentance. That's what God assigns us, gives us, so that we might grow in greater conformity to the likeness of Christ. And here's another one. Luther, when he nailed the 95 Theses on the doors of Wittenberg, um, the, ni- the first sentence of the 95 Theses of the, of the Great Reformation starts with this sentence. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. The entire life. Friends, as such, repentance produces joy and leads us to life. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you remind us that repentance is not an option. Repentance is not something we should shy away from speaking regularly about. Father, thank you that you have reminded us this morning of the beauty of repentance, of what it causes, of what it leads to when we repent towards you. Oh, Lord, we pray that if there's people in our midst who may have embrace a superficial view of repentance, that you would awaken them to see the reality of true repentance. Lord, we pray that you would awaken their souls and alarm them of the, of the danger they're in if they're just embracing a, embracing a superficial repentance. Lord, we pray that you would ena- enable them to see the beauty of true repentance and that you would grant it to them. Enable them to repent towards you. Give them the life they desperately need. Lord, give them the joy that only comes from you. Father, we pray that we as your people will be more zealous to speak your gospel and and include this repentance for the times when we do speak the gospel for others. Father, help us to see that this repentance is for us as well as as long-time believers, as Christians, that this gospel continues to, to create in us an attitude of repentance throughout our life. Lord, we pray that that grace would be increasing in us. In the name of Christ.